Let's uh, turn to the book of Jeremiah. Ebed Melech. Anybody recognize that name? Not, uh, nobody names their kid that, but it's a good biblical name. And we'll see why as we look into this portion of Scripture. <clears throat> of course, the well-known Jewish prophet we're talking about is Jeremiah. And uh, what I want to do <clears throat> is just set the historical setting before we look at the portion of Scripture that deals with this, this uh, Ethiopian eunuch by the name of Ebed-Melech. So uh, maybe just to set the stage here a little bit, we'll just turn to chapter 1 of Jeremiah. <clears throat> we see his commission here in chapter 1, verse 9, the latter part. It says, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. This is God speaking to Jer Jeremiah. Behold, I have put my words into your mouth. See, I have appointed you this day over the nations and over the kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy, to overthrow, to build, and to plant. So you see there was uh, uh, quite a bit of negative aspect to his ministry before the positive, P quite a bit of destructive work that needed to be done before there could be some constructive work done. And this destructive work, presenting the wrath of God, the judgment of God upon uh, Judah, got Jeremiah into a lot of trouble. And we're going to see that here as we go along. <clears throat> but let me just, again, give a little of the historical setting here. Jeremiah's ministry really began about the 13th year of Josiah, who was one of the last five kings of Judah. Now, this would just a rough date would be 600 B.C., just to give you kind of a rough idea of where, where we're talking about. And at this time, the southern kingdom, Judah, the northern kingdom had already been taken by the, the Assyrians. The southern kingdom was holding out, and really it was in a pretty vulnerable position between two superpowers that were contending for dominance. Those two superpowers were Egypt and the Babylonian Empire, often in our account here will be called the Chaldeans. So the, actually the Chaldeans would emerge victorious in this power struggle, but caught in the middle of this uh, was this southern kingdom of Judea. And Jeremiah was a prophet to that southern kingdom during the reign of the last uh, five kings of Judah, which uh, roughly spanned about 40 years, and then he, even after uh, uh, the, the uh, nation was taken into captivity by Babylon, he was still prophesying. So his, his prophecy, his prophetic time lasted uh, quite a number of years. And um, like I say, a lot of it, he was in a lot of trouble with the people because they didn't like what he was saying. Maybe a, a good way to get some of this presented is I just want to quote from a Bible commentary here. <clears throat> kind of presents the setting. Jeremiah preached more about repentance than any other prophet. For a time, Jeremiah's message was for the people of his day to repent or else be taken captive by Babylon. Yet, because the response was resentment rather than repentance, 
God revealed to Jeremiah that Jerusalem's fall and the people's captivity had become the inevitable punishment. Following that revelation, Jeremiah continued to exhort the people to repent, but he also preached that God's will was for them to submit to Babylon with the assurance that if they did, they would receive mercy in the sense that they wouldn't be killed. This, well, that's the end of the quote. This, uh, this was probably a pretty hard thing for them to believe since conquering nations were often known for being quite ruthless with those that were conquered. Um, and so the people and the officials and the kings did not go along with uh, Jeremiah's message. Especially the authorities viewed this message as pessimistic, heretical, unpatriotic, and even treasonous. I mean, after all, you're telling, you're telling, give up, telling the people and the army, give up to the enemy. That'd be like, I don't know what, it'd be like telling our military, well, just go over and give up to the enemy, you know. Not, not a very patriotic message. So... As a result, Jeremiah repeatedly suffered rejection, hostility, ridicule, persecution. He was in prison, in and out of prison, in the stocks, in all kinds of situations, and many threats against his life. So that's kind of the setting. And the time we're dealing with here, the time period we're dealing with here tonight was the time of the last king of Judah, Jedekiah, uh, and this was right before Jerusalem was destroyed and the people taken captive, which was in 536 B.C. That's where we're at. We're just, just prior to Jerusalem being uh, taken over by the armies of the Babylonians. And again, Jeremiah was telling the people to submit and surrender to the Babylonians. That way they'd save their lives. And again, and again, I just say, of course, this was viewed as being a treasonous message by some of the people and some of the leaders. So we're taking up the story then in chapter 38, if you want to turn to that. And at this point... The official, many of the officials of the kingdom were coming to the king and telling the king, Jeremiah needs to be executed. He needs to be killed for what he's saying. So chapter 38, because he was undermining the morale of the people and the troops and the king, who was a pretty weak and vacillating ruler, gives in to their request. Kind of, I, I, it's kind of like Pilate at the time of Christ, just a, a weak ruler that gives in to what's being, the unjust things that are being said against Christ. So Jeremiah finds himself in a terrible, life-threatening situation. And that's where we want to take up now. He's, he's already been under arrest for a while, but now they take him 
and they put him in a cistern, and he's left there to die. I guess these people that wanted him dead thought this would be a real good way, make him suffer a little bit down in this cistern. Now, before we read the section, let me just describe that setting for you a little bit. Has anybody been in a cistern? Well, I have the dubious distinction of being the only person in the room that's been down in a cistern, apparently. <clears throat> when I was about 16, my grandparents had a cistern that, uh, for some reason, the water that was going down in it wasn't going in the way it should, and my dad appointed me as a local cistern cleaner outer. So... Uh, now, a cistern has a big, well, not, it has not a very big, a small opening that kind of opens up, then kind of, it's usually kind of pear-shaped. In other words, it's bigger down inside. And uh, this one was, uh, this one was not full of water. What, what this one did was the, the water from the roof of the house came down through the drain, drain pipe and went into this cistern. I don't think they ever used it to drink, but they used it to water plants and other things like that. Anyway, it wasn't working right, so my dad said I would go down in there and clean that out, find out what the problem was. So I got to go down on a ladder down into this, and it wasn't, you know, this was not a huge cistern, probably not like the one Jeremiah was in. It was probably about 12 foot deep, but it was dark and damp and not the kind of place you'd want to spend much time. I didn't like this job. Because I just kind of, well, for one thing, I couldn't see in there, and I just kind of feel like it was like me and the snakes would cohabit this area. I, I didn't really like it very much. But I'm saying all that to say that I know a little bit, just a very little bit, about what it's like to be down in the cistern. Well, all right, let's go ahead and read the account here in chapter 38. We'll begin with verse 2, Jeremiah Jeremiah is speaking to the people, and this is what he tells them. Thus says the Lord, he who stays in this city, that's Jerusalem, will die by the sword and by famine and by pestilence. But he who goes out to the Chaldeans will live and have his own life as booty and stay alive. Thus says the Lord, this city will certainly be given into the hand of the army of the king of Babylon and he will capture it. When the officials, then the officials, those people that uh, heard him saying this to the people, the officials said to the king, Now let this man be put to death inasmuch as he is discouraging the men of war who are left in this city and all the people by speaking such words to them. For this man is not seeking the well-being of this people, but rather their harm. Now, that was not true at all. He was seeking their well-being. But uh, it wasn't interpreted that way. So King Zedekiah said, Behold, he is in your hands, for the king can do nothing against you. Now, that's not he was the king, but he was a weak king, and he took the, the coward's position on this. Then they took Jeremiah and cast him into the cistern of Melchijah, the king's son, which was in the court of the guardhouse. And they let Jeremiah down with ropes. Now the cistern there 
now in the cistern there was no water but only mud, and Jeremiah sunk into the mud. We don't know how far he sunk, but I get the feeling it wasn't, you know, just to his ankles. I mean, he just sunk, and you didn't. He, for a while, I'm sure he didn't know if he was just going to go right on down, if it was going to be covered with mud or not. So he sank into the mud. But Ebed-Melech, the Ethiopian, a eunuch, while he was in the king's palace, heard that they had put Jeremiah into the cistern. Now the king was sitting at the gate of Benjamin. Now he was sitting, sitting at the gate when they did that. That was a place where they would give their judgments on things. They would pronounce sentences on criminals and things. So this really was a very appropriate place to approach the king. Now the king was sitting at the gate of Benjamin. And Ebed-Melech went out from the king's palace and spoke to the king, saying, My lord the king, these men have acted wickedly in all that they have done to Jeremiah the prophet, whom they have cast into the cistern. And he will die right where he is because of the famine, for there is no more bread in the city. Then the king commanded Ebed-Melech, the Ethiopian, saying, Take thirty men from here under your authority and bring up Jeremiah the prophet from the cistern before he dies. So Ebed-Melech took the men under his authority and went to the king's palace a place beneath the storeroom, and took from there worn-out clothes and worn-out rags and let them down by ropes into the cistern to Jeremiah. Then Ebed-Melech, the Ethiopian, said to Jeremiah, Now put these worn-out clothes and rags under your armpits, under the ropes. And Jeremiah did so. So they pulled Jeremiah up from the ropes up with the ropes, and lifted him out of the cistern. And Jeremiah stayed in the court of the guardhouse. We have this, I think, quite amazing account of this unknown Gentile slave who saves a well-known Jewish prophet. Here he was sunk in the mud and the muck in this dark, damp cistern, facing starvation, but help comes from this very unlikely source. A foreigner, a slave, a man they call that were calling Ebed-Melech, but that may not even have been his name. That may be more of just a description of what he did. The name means slave or servant of the king. That's what that name means. So it may have been just a description of, of what he did and not, certainly it was not his name that he was born with. He was a man who had really very little going for him, if you think about it. Uh, certainly not much uh, in the estimation of those around him. He'd probably been taken from his homeland, been made a eunuch, and made to serve this Jewish king. He could not even become part of the recognized religion of the people he was serving, even if he wanted to, because he was a eunuch. There was a Jewish law against that. It's found in Deuteronomy 23, verse 1, if you want to look it up later. So he couldn't even become part of this 
group of people that where he was a slave. Nevertheless, his life turned out to be very pleasing to God, and he will, in the end, I think, receive a prophet's reward. So what I'd like to do with the rest of our time here is just consider some of the character traits of this little-known helper of Jeremiah. First of all, I think it should be obvious that he was a man of courage. It took courage to bring this situation that Jeremiah was in before the king. After all, the king was the one who told the officials, do with him what you want to. So the king could have said, listen, I, I'm the one that brought this about. You're saying I was wrong. The king, king could have come down on him on that. So that took some courage. Uh, moreover, when he went uh, to get Jeremiah uh, out of that cistern, he could have gotten in trouble with those officials if they were around. I mean, he could have ended up down in the cistern himself. That might be one of the reasons why the king sent 30 men with him, just to keep that from happening, because he knew those officials were very much against Jeremiah getting out of that cistern. It took some courage to do what he did, but to say that he was a man of courage does not mean that he was fearless, you know, that fear was no part of his life. We'll see a little bit later in the passage that we'll read that he was fearful. He was fearful of being killed by the, the Chaldeans. And uh, so it's not that there was no fear, there, you know, that that was just something that was not a problem with him. It's just that he overcame that fear and did what he should do. He did the right thing despite his fears, even though it meant risking his life. So he is a man of courage. <clears throat> Next, I would say that Ebed Melek was someone who cared very much about justice. He tells the king that these men have acted wickedly. This is wrong. This is unjust what's happened to Jeremiah. He knew deep down in his heart that this was wrong and he was not going to stand by and let it happen. He may not have known much of the Old Testament. He was not a Jew, you remember. But he knew this was wrong, and he intervened on behalf of Jeremiah, the prophet. Now, I was just thinking about this. Sometimes, sometimes our wrong use of Bible knowledge can keep us from doing things we ought to do. <clears throat> uh, he could have had the thought, well, you know, I think God's sovereign, and so there's Jeremiah. I'll just have to accept it. That's where God had him put. He didn't use that excuse. He could have thought, well, now, I mean, if he'd known much of the Old Testament, he could have thought, God could rescue this guy. He could send an angel and get him out of this mess. Or for, if, if not that, he could keep him alive. He doesn't have to worry about dying because some ravens could bring him some food or something. He can come up with all these kind of things, but the fact is he just knew it was wrong for him to be there. And he, he was going to take a stand and do something about it. It wasn't right. It was unjust. I think that we see that he was a man concerned for justice. And not only was he one who would do justly, but he also loved mercy. He was a merciful and compassionate man. I get the feeling that he really was like that. 
from this account. You know, it's not only what we do, but how we do it that's important. And you see this brought out, I think, in the amazing detail mentioned in verses 11 and 12. He gathered up these worn-out clothes and rags and let them down by ropes into the cistern so that Jeremiah could be, you know, put them under his armpits before they pulled him out with these ropes. And I think he probably realized this guy is probably pretty frail, pretty emaciated, and we could hurt him really bad just by trying to help him. So, Ebed-Melech took some precautions here. Not only did he get Jeremiah out of the cistern, but he did it gently, being careful not to injure him anymore. In other words, this was an act of compassion. This was an act of, of, of caring for this man. And you gotta, I think it's good to remember this was an age in which human life was cheap. It just, people didn't think that much about people dying. And when I think of just this little detail here, <clears throat> I think we need to be like Ebed Malik and stand against our present generation's devaluing and degrading of human life. We should be people that are noted as compassionate and sympathetic and benevolent to others, even if they're not part of our culture or class or country. You know, this he was, he was not part of this guy's group. So I'd just say again, it's not only what we do, but how we do it. That's important. I think that's what Paul was talking about when he said we can give all our possessions to feed the poor and deliver our body to be burned, but if we don't have love, it profits nothing. Well, Ebed Malik was a, a person that had compassion. You see that in this, this uh, detail of the, the worn-out rags and clothes. I think those rags tell us a lot about this merciful man. It also shows us, just that little detail, shows us that he was a man who planned ahead, thought things through before he acted. In other words, he was prudent, a resourceful man. He gathered those rags ahead of time, so when he went to the cistern, he'd be ready to lift Jeremiah out of there. He figured out what he would need to do in order to rescue this prophet in the right way. Now, this is just a little personal side note here, but th this verse uh, 11 and 12 concerning these worn-out rags just, uh, to me, just really stands out in this, in this portion of Scripture. It's... Uh, to me, the inclusion of this very human aspect of him gathering these worn-out rags for Jeremiah's rescue testifies of the reality of the divine inspiration of the scriptures. Maybe it doesn't do that for you, but it does to me. It's just one of those things that give the account the ring of reality, you know? And there are many things like that in the scripture, but this one in this section really stands out to me. But that's a little side note. Another thing I'd say about this 
man, Ebed Malik, is that he was not a man given to resentment or self-pity. The reason I say that is it seems to me, if you think about his past, it was probably a pretty rough life. I mean, he'd been made a slave, he'd been made a eunuch, and taken away from his own country. He could have been pretty bitter about that and resentful and not going to do anything for anybody of this race that had treated him this way. But he wasn't like that. He did not live with bitterness because of the past, but he was willing to look to God in the present. And that's the key to dealing with the past, is to look to God right now. Which brings me to his most important character trait. He was a man who trusted God. Let's turn over to chapter 39, and we'll begin reading of verse 16. Now, this is after Jeremiah has been rescued from the cistern, just before the city is about to fall. Well, let's, let's start with 15 here. 39.15 But now the word of the Lord had come to Jeremiah while he was confined in the court of the guardhouse. Even after he got out of the cistern, after he was rescued, he was still in confinement at the guardhouse. But God comes to him and says to him, Go and speak to Ebed-Melech, the Ethiopian, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I am about to bring my words on this city for disaster and not for prosperity, and they will take place before you on that day. But I will deliver you on that day, declares the Lord, and you shall not be given into the hand of the men whom you dread. See, he, there was, he, was not, uh, he was ever just totally above fear. But nevertheless, the point here is that God's saying, I'm going to deliver you. For I will certainly rescue you, and you will not fall by the sword, but you will have your own life as booty because you have trusted in me, declares the Lord. So all these things that we've mentioned here, the compassion, the, the courage, and the prudence, and all these things, all those really flow from one great attribute, the attribute of trusting God. The fact that he had put his faith in the God that Jeremiah spoke of. And this is an amazing thing because apparently he was just about the only one in all of Jerusalem that did that. All the Jewish people, the ones who had all the background in the scriptures, did not do that. And here was this foreigner who did. And God saved him because of his faith. And I think this is pretty amazing, really. Just the fact that God sends, especially sends Jeremiah the prophet to this guy, this Ethiopian eunuch, makes a special trip. God gives him a special message just for this Ethiopian eunuch. When virtually the whole nation of Judah was going to be given over to destruction, God would yet rescue this humble, despised foreigner. 
Now, all of this reminds me, probably has done this for you also, of some great New Testament truths. And I just want to read some verses that I think fit well with this. 1 Corinthians 1.27 God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things that are strong, and the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen, the things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are, so that no man may boast before God. This is what he's doing here with this this uh, man, this Ethiopian eunuch, choosing the foolish, despised, the base of the world. Another verse that fits really well is Matthew 10:41, where Jesus says, "He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward, and he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man." shall receive a righteous man's reward. Now, those are amazing statements, if you think about it. He's saying that that Ebed-Melech is going to have the reward that Jeremiah will have. He received him in the name of a prophet, and that's the way he even addresses the king. Do you know what they've done to Jeremiah, the prophet? He recognized him as a prophet of God and recognized that he needs needed to do what he could to rescue him from that unjust and wicked situation that he'd been placed in. Whoever in the name of a disciple gives to one of these little ones even a cup of cold water to drink, truly I say to you, he shall not lose his reward. And then again, Christ says this in Matthew 25, where he's talking about what it'll be like on the day of judgment. Matthew 25:34 Then the king will say to those on his right hand come you who are blessed of my father inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat see he was worried about this guy this guy in the cistern because he was going to die of hunger I was hung- hungry and you gave me something to eat I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink I was a stranger And you invited me in naked, and you clothed me sick, and you visited me. I was in prison. In this case, it was a cistern, but it was was a prison. I was in prison, and you came to me. These are verses that come to mind in relationship to this man, Ebed-Melech. But I think the one that really means the most to me related to this whole thing is actually from the prophet Isaiah. So let's turn to Isaiah 56 and verses 3, 4, and 5. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. The idea is, you know, don't just because you're a foreigner, don't think that God's going to have you off in a separate category. Uh, going to separate you from his people. No, it's not going to be like that. And then he says this, Neither let the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose what pleases me and hold fast my, com- my covenant, then I will give 
in my, then to them I will give in my house and within my walls a memorial and a name better than that of sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name which will not be cut off. And how true this was of this man, Ebeg Melech, this Ethiopian eunuch. He was given a better name than that of sons and daughters. He was given an eternal name because he was by faith the servant of the king, not, not Zedekiah, the servant of the true king. And his name is an everlasting name because he's in heaven. He's received the prophet's reward, a true servant of the king. And I, just in closing, I would say this. It was always true, even back uh, in the Old Testament, though most of the Jews didn't recognize it, that God is not one to show partiality, but in every nation the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. That's what Peter found out later on in the book of Acts. So this amazing account of this one who was a despised person and one who was virtually unknown, this slave who saved the prophet from death and is really an example to us. May God help us to be people by the grace of God through faith people who show forth some of the same character traits as this servant of the king, Ebed Melech.